A very happy Monday to all of you out there listening. This is the Friendship News Hour presented to you by Bummer Dude Media. And today is July the 26th, 2021. I am Frank Huerta. This is Alex Kenzie. Hello, sir. Hello, sir. How was your weekend? Uh, It was long. Um, It was taxing. Mm. I I partied like I wasn't 30 years old. (laughs) And uh, how are you feeling? Uh, I feel good. I feel right right now. I, you know, yeah. I don't, I don't want to say I've lost a step because I can still do the thing. <laughs> it's just how it affects me is way different. And yeah. it's more mentally, like physically I can take it. It doesn't, I mean, I don't care to be like hungover. I don't care to be like achy. I don't care to have like a headache. All that's fine. It's like mentally, I'm just like, dude, fuck. Yeah. I was at the bar Saturday night. It was like 1030. I was like, dude, do we really have another hour and a half before we even talk about leaving? (laughs) 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 And that's not to talk about, you know, talk down on anybody I was with. It it was a ton of fun. We had a blast. It's just like, man, I just do not want to be in those places ever again in my life. Yeah, dude, that's happened to me so much in like the last four or five years. I feel like I I love party. I'll party with the best of them. I'll drink with the best of them, whatever. But these days it's like more like I'm just like kind of checked out. Like you're saying, like 10, 30, 11, like I'm ready to go home and kick it, relax, like mm-hmm. do whatever. Like I don't need to be out till two, three in the morning, then go get Denny's or, you know, it's just like, eh, eh. do you think, do you think COVID had something to do with that or like accelerated that process a little bit? I could see that because you get like so used to being home and you're comfortable there and like, you know, you're going to bed earlier because there's not as much to do. So you're like, I guess just naturally. Yeah, that's that's a astute observation, Frank. As as things started to open up and as like, uh, um, you know, life returned back to normal, the thought of doing activities (laughs) just it's like infuriated me, like filled me with anger when I found out that something was put on my schedule. Like, How dare you? Yeah, for work and some things I didn't want to do, yes. But like for me, like going to the gym or like going to a music show, like was so much more exciting. Like any mm-hmm. excuse yeah. to get out of the house. Like I, I yeah, guess not going sure. to a music show during COVID, but like once gyms reopened, it was like, yes. Like, yeah, yes. No doubt. <laughs> I'm going. No doubt. For, you see, for me, I was, you know, I, I ran my way through COVID. So I, yeah. I, I could, you know, it was the outside. Mm-hmm. And I live in San Diego. So there was no such thing as like, being stuck inside due to weather, I could do whatever I wanted. And, mm. you know, golf courses were only closed for like a month between April and, and like mid May last year. So mm. yeah, I was set. And that's the only two activities I care to do anyway. I don't really, you know, I go to the gym yeah. every now and then, but, but yeah. Um, you know, I love, I love going out to eat. I like going out to, you know, get a nice dinner or whatever, some drinks or what have you. Um, but like going out, heavily populated places and dude, just seeing how youthful everyone was. I was just like, Oh my God, I'm not that old, but Jesus Christ, man. Like it was just little babies in there. I was like, yeah, I don't, we're starting don't to make that transition, man. I feel like Seriously, we really yeah, are for sure. <laughs> Cause that used to be us like eight, nine years ago. We, I was in San Diego with you like mm-hmm. two in the morning doing everything. We're just ta- like making fun of. So yeah, it's just that natural uh, progression. Get off my lawn, would you? Now, are your hangovers worse now, do you feel like? Because I feel like in the last five years, my hangovers, um, especially when I drink beer for some reason, I don't know, maybe I'm like somewhat mm, allergic to something in beer, but when I when I drink 
heavy. I wake up the next morning. I feel like I like got ran over by a truck. Where I used to be able to put it away. Like I could still drink as much as I used to be able to. But I used I used to put it away. Wake up the next morning, ready to go. Yeah. No. I. I. Yeah. I think so. And I think for that reason, I take a lot of uh, precaution. Mm -hmm. I drink way more water when I'm drinking. I'll drink like, like this past weekend, I was just drinking like vodka soda. Yeah. And just nothing nothing else really or like straight tequila but like not like not mixed drinks not beer definitely not beer mm-hmm. uh, seltzers we run on a boat so we were having seltzers on the boat things like that but yeah I, th- I think the hangover is definitely worse but like mentally you know like like yesterday uh, my sister came into town and she had my little baby niece and like I love this little kid to death and I, there was like nothing that would stop me from going to see her, but I had to peel myself off the couch and make a concerted effort to go to this lunch yesterday <laughs> to see my niece. And it's like, ah, man, I don't want to do that. You know, I don't want to be that guy sitting there yeah. like hating my life, not wanting to be there, tired, just wanted to be on a couch eating Thai food, mm-hmm. you know? Sounds like a good day. That is a good day. <laughs> yeah, sounds like a great day. It is a good day and there's no <laughs> obligations. Um, well, enough of the pleasantries. Um, we have a pretty juicy show for you guys today. Um, and we will start in Israel, but, uh, that has nothing to do really with, uh, politics in Israel. Uh, and it has everything to do with Pegasus. If you've ever seen Hercules, you'll know that Pegasus is a mythical winged horse. Uh, and that's not what we're going to talk about. I was going to say, he's back. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We're going to talk about uh, the NSO group. The NSO group uh, developed a spyware software called Pegasus. I was uh, brought to the attention of Pegasus last year. Um, I was at my mom's house, and uh, they're prone to watch 60 Minutes on Sundays. And so I happened to be there, random Sunday, 60 Minutes are on. And Leslie Stahl is interviewing uh, co-founder and CEO of this NSO group, uh, a guy by the name of Shalif Julio. And uh, before we get into this interview, I will just play a quick clip about Pegasus, what it is and uh, why it's in the news today. So, Pegasus is probably the most advanced piece of spyware ever developed. It is effectively the most invasive form of surveillance imaginable. Any idea that you had that aspects of your life could be kept private and on the mobile phone are wrong. Mm. So if you are someone who thinks that you're safe because you use WhatsApp, which is end-to-end encrypted, or you use Signal, it really is meaningless uh, once that Pegasus is on your phone. Pegasus can infect both iOS and Android while remaining virtually undetectable. So one of the ways that Pegasus will attack your phone is through what's called a zero-day vulnerability. This is a vulnerability that the phone's manufacturer doesn't yet know exists. All right, so we'll, we'll stop it there. It, it, it gets a little bit deeper into it, but essentially what this software does is it can infect your phone by, by simply just sending you a link. I've gotten tons of these before. I'm sure you have too, where it's like UPS or DHL or um, FedEx saying, hey, your shipment's been delayed. Click here for what have you. 
you mm-hmm. click that link, it takes you to some web page. As soon as you've clicked that link, your phone is now in the hands of somebody trying to v- look at your uh your stuff, right? It's essentially like a ghost user inside the phone. Now, the reason that uh, 60 Minutes was interested in learning more about Pegasus is because there were rumblings that this software was used by the Saudi uh, government to spy on uh, Jamal Khashoggi, uh, who was the the dissident journalist who was murdered last year uh, at the hands of the, uh, the the Saudi government, and not just him, but his his friends and family as well. So she's she's interviewing the CEO, and and they said that they were aware of the allegations against Pegasus for using the software against Jamal Khashoggi, and that they have dug into it and they didn't find any evidence that that was true. Right. And every time there was a pointed question about how this software could be used maliciously, the CEO would always go back and say, this software is used to combat terrorism and save innocent lives. And she pressed him on that. How many lives do you think Pegasus saved? Tens of thousands of people was his response, right? So they are continually defending their position uh, of selling this software to governments of the world by saying that it helps prevent terrorist attacks and it helps save the lives of innocent people. But the concern is that when a government has this technology in their hands, they have the ability to use it against their political rivals uh, or against anybody who they need to spy on, right? There's rumors that this software was sold to the Saudi government for $55 million. Wow. Right? Heavy price tag. And their, their justification for that price tag is, you know, it lets you do any, like basically anything. It lets you get into places that previously you had no access to. And it lets you get ahead of the crime or the terrorist attack or whatever it is, whatever, you know, righteous um, thing that you're trying to do. But I think anybody who looks at this objectively can say like, well, you know, that's a pretty dangerous thing to have, right? Like, I, I think the same sentiment was felt between all of us here in America when we found out that our own uh, security agencies had the ability to spy on us at will uh, at any given time. And not only did they have the ability, but they were actually doing it. And it was more or less legal, right? And, you know, I don't think that any of us were like, yeah, that's, you know, that's something that we're all really okay with. Right. Because right. at the end of the day, you're putting the power of God essentially into the hands of a very few amount of people. So, um, that was last year, 2019. And just last week, uh, there was a, uh, a series of articles put out by something, something called the Pegasus project. And the Pegasus Project works with uh, data from uh, the journalism nonprofit Forbidden Stories and human rights group Amnesty International, who actually knocked on my door a couple weeks ago. Um, 
And it is, it looks like it's either funded or started by the OCCRP, which is the Organized Crime and Corruption Reporting Project, uh, in conjunction with 16 media partners around the world. And what they've done is they've worked to uncover who may have fallen victim to Pegasus, right? So they were able to get their hands on about five, 500, excuse me, 50,000 numbers um, that were allegedly selected for targeting by these governments using this Pegasus software, right? So we'll start with the journalists because we were talking about Jamal Khashoggi. He was a dissident journalist. He was, you know, trying to uncover the crimes of the Saudi government and he was killed for it. Uh, in Hungary, Sabolks Pani exposed spy intrigue and murky arms deals. In India, Paranjoy Guha Thakurta probed the ties between business and political interests. And in Azerbaijan, Sevinj Vakifikizi, yeah, caught vote rigging on tape. The phones of all three of these were analyzed by Amnesty International Security Lab and they found to be infected after the numbers appeared on the list of 50,000 numbers that were selected for targeting by governments using the Pegasus software. Reporters were able to identify the owners of hundreds of those numbers and Amnesty conducted forensic analysis on as many of their phones as possible, confirming infections in dozens of cases. The reporting was backed up with interviews, documents, and other materials. But instead of targeting only criminals, governments in more than 10 countries have appeared to also select political opponents, academics, reporters, human rights defenders, doctors, and religious leaders. Uh, the NSO clients uh, may have also used the company's software to conduct espionage by targeting foreign officials, diplomats, and even heads of state. Um, so that was just the first article talking about journalists. The next article talks about political dissidents. In August 2020, Paul Rususa Bagina, if you've ever seen uh, Hotel Rwanda, he was the guy that was the inspiration for that movie. Mm. He left his home in Texas to fly to Burundi for a speaking tour. And when he landed in Dubai to change planes, he sent a WhatsApp message to his family to say happy birthday to his grandson, and then he disappeared. Four days later, he emerged on television in Rwanda, handcuffed and escorted by officers. Uh, and a, in a very bold and, and complex operation, Rwandan authorities had tricked uh, Rusesa Bagina onto a plane uh, in Dubai and uh, flew him to Rwanda, where he faced charges of financing terrorist activities. Now it gets deeper. His adopted daughter, Corinne Kanimba, a U.S. citizen, soon launched a campaign to free her father. Although she never went to Rwanda, it is highly likely that the government there had her under close watch thanks to this Pegasus software. So now they're spying on US citizens using this software. So this article says, when Pegasus is implanted on a device, effectively gives an attacker complete access to the target's phone. It can read messages, passwords, access social media, use GPS to locate the target, listen to the target's conversations, and even record them. End-to-end encryption available through popular apps like Signal does not protect against Pegasus once the phone is compromised. Wow, man. That's terrifying. So it gets deeper. The next article begins to talk about world leaders. While they were in office, 14 world leaders from Europe, Africa, Asia, and the Middle East appear to have been selected for targeting with NSO Group's Pegasus software. Analysis suggests that in several cases, the users of the hacking tool were their own governments. 
Um, so in addition to ministers, diplomats, civil servants, and, you know, just your regular, you know, uh, uh, public figures, uh, King Mohammed the sixth of Morocco, President uh, Emmanuel Macron in France, Iraqi President Baram Sali, and South African President Cyril Ramaphosa were all targeted using this app by their own countries. Hmm. Um, again, every time that there is uh, a accusation brought to uh, the NSO group, they deny it and they claim that they are only out to save innocent lives. And that's their only, that's their only comment on this kind of stuff. Uh, and then lastly, and, and you know, perhaps uh, most insidious, um, if, if you look at it from a 3,000 foot view, uh, in Mexico, there was what was called uh, the Ayotzinapa case. In Ayotzinapa, there was uh, 43 um, like students that were learning to become teachers. And it's like a very rural place in Guerrero, Mexico. And between September 26th and 27th, 2014, um, there were 43 students that were kidnapped and have yet to be seen. Um, chances are they're all deceased. So this project, this Pegasus project, got in touch with a woman by the name of Christina Bautista, who was just this regular, very, very poor Mexican woman working for pennies, scrounging up bread. Um, you know, she mentioned that her house was made of concrete and was thankful for that. It wasn't made of corrugated metal or wood planks so that, um, you know, it wouldn't fall apart. Uh, even by Mexico standards, she's the poorest of the poor. But this woman has been under surveillance by the Mexican government using this software. Why? Because she's a victim. And she's one of the parents of the children that got kidnapped during this, uh, during this uh, incident in 2014. And they have been petitioning the government, as you might, when your son's disappeared, along with 42 other kids and never found. They're petitioning the government to do something about it. Where are our children? We need to find our children. And they're making noise. And it has been revealed that the Mexican state has used Pegasus um, to monitor uh, not only these parents, but international investigators that are looking into the case. Um, I think it's hard to appreciate this sort of information in America, even though we know that this conversation could very well be listened to by anybody who wanted to do it, right? If you wanted to, to do this, you probably could, even if it was by way of a bug in this room or hacking into the computer or whatever. But because our democracy is set up in a way that doesn't allow for tyranny, because there are term limits on presidency and because we have free and fair elections and just because of the way that we're set up, we don't really have 
an avenue for straight tyrannical rule. That is not the case in a lot of places in the world. And I think that we're seeing that this software has now become the most important tool for a dictator, for a group of uh, criminals, for cartels, for anybody who uses terror and fear and manipulation as a way of controlling and ruling over a people. This software has now become the most important tool in their arsenal because now they have the ability to know everything. And when you can know everything, then your truth becomes the truth and nothing can stand in your way. So this is perhaps the most terrifying thing that is happening in the world right now. Do you think it's foolish to not think it's not happening here already though, like by our own government? No, I think it, I, I think a hundred percent it is. Yeah. But the power lies in organizations, right? Like we talked about last time, the CIA, the NSA, the FBI, these organizations can transcend any political movement, any one um, administration in the White House, right? They're not elected officials. They hold that power, meaning the people who make our laws, the people who, uh, you know, uh, the Supreme Court, the judiciary arm of, of our government and the, and the federal arm of our government, even if they did, like, right, like even if the president, even if the Biden administration right now was using this to spy on dissidents, as egregious as that would, would be and as like shameful and awful as that would be, I don't think it leads to the same sort of destruction and despair and terror as, say, the Saudi government having yeah. this. No, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. royal family. They rule, right? Mexico is ruled by the cartels. Yeah. Um, you know, all these other places, Iran, right? It's a, it, it's a, it's a, a, a religious conservative, uh, uh, state that is, that is a, it's a, uh, what is it? Theocracy? Yeah. Theocracy. It's, 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 it, it, it's a, a Shiite, is this Shiite? I can't, okay. I'm, I'm going to misspeak here. It is ruled by, uh, by, 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 uh, by Muslim law. They, they rule their country with religion and not with the democracy. And so because of that, they have the, having the ability to spy on anybody they want allows for consolidated power. We have presidential elections every four years. Even if this was happening, I think it would be a way different thing Sure. Than if anybody else in a corrupt nation were to have this sort of power. Yeah. Yeah. Just as you described it a minute ago, kind of talking about dictators and, and it just kind of made me think of as like a conspiracy theorist and a lot of things and, and listening to a lot of other ones that will like point to like a nine 11 per se and say that like the idea, not only to like go overseas, get the oil, do their whole agenda, you know, over in Iran, Iraq, but also like here stateside to then be able to roll out something like the Patriot Act and legally spy on everybody. Um, it it kind of it sounds very similar. Like, obviously, you're like you're saying we have these things in place that would prevent, you know, maybe like a like a, a monarchy or anything like that. But it's it still I mean, does kind of show that like there could have, I mean, this could be have been going on in some form or another in America since 2001. 
um, with with us spying on our own citizens. Yeah, I mean, when did we find out about uh, Edward Snowden? I think that was 11, 2011. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, since that time and perhaps before then, there was a system that was being set up to effectively, quote unquote, intercept communication for you know terrorist activities. And I'll give him the benefit of the doubt and say like, that might even be like the the crux, like the largest thing that they do with a program like they have. Um, but yeah, like you said, man, once you get to know that you have the ability to look at everything, yeah, to say that it won't be corrupted or that it's not being corrupted is such a silly thing to say. And this program doesn't publicize successes, right? All they yeah. say is that they have stopped tens of thousands of innocent lives from being taken. That very well may be true. But I don't know that I would want to live in a world where we are sacrificing all of our privacy for the sake of a quote unquote safer world. How much safer are we? All right. A hundred percent agree. And it's like what you're saying where they won't really approach or comment on any of like the more vicious things of Pegasus. It it reminds me just like of the Patriot Act going through and like, we're doing this in the guise of America. Like we're here to, to in the defense of the American people to snuff out these terrorists, but also, you know, Mm -hmm. while we're in Mm -hmm. there, we can, it's just, you know, it's, it's, it it feels like the same thing again. What if you, what if you suspected your wife on uh, cheating on you and you Mm -hmm. had access to everything that she could do? You're going to tell me that you're going to have the self-control to not do it. Right. It's at your fingertips and you know, you're not going to get caught. Come on. No way. It's childish thinking. I, you know, I, I, I hate the premise that the ends justify the means. If you think, if you want to like, look at that from like the most uh, dramatic example, it'd be like Thanos, right? who feels like he's justified in his mission to eliminate half the population of the universe Mm -hmm. because it's necessary for the longevity of the universe on the whole. Right. So while it's nasty work in the, in the, in the midst of it, the ends justify the means. And I think that's why I love that character because it's so, uh, transcendent of that archetype. Um, and that, per, you know, that character really believes that the ends justify the means. Look at you getting into Marvel commentary, dude. I don't know if I've ever heard you talk on that before. Uh, he's fantastic. Well, he's such a great, uh, uh, archetype of, of yeah, that, oh, yeah. of that character. I really, really enjoy, I, I, I'm not a big Marvel guy to begin with. Sure. It's, it's a story that's been told, you know, a thousand times over, but, but Thanos is, just because the goal of this guy is so large and so big and so on, on, on a universal scale, then I think it really drives that point home. And what's lacking there is uh, principles, right? This person is on a mission on a, like, like you could even describe it as like an evangelical mission, right? Where they believe that they're, 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 uh, what they're doing is uh, for the quote unquote greater good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think at least what used to set America apart was that we didn't allow the ends to justify the means. We allowed the means to be a product of our principles of freedom, of democracy, of fair and free elections, of, uh, the idea that all men are created equal, this kind of thing, right? 
maybe not so much anymore when you have your country spying on every one of its citizens, right? Kind of seems like those principles have left. But I think at the end of the day, if you look at these stories, and especially this Pegasus program, when every single justification for their existence is that they are saving lives. Okay. But what is the cost? Do your ends justify the means? And if it means that these countries get to squash dissidents, then all that's going to do is lead to far more tyranny and far more death and destruction and despair. We've seen it, man. The whole 20th century was full of this scale of behavior. And to think that it won't, change for any reason is, um, is, is very silly. And, um, so yeah, I, I think the software is far more dangerous. Um, and it's something that shouldn't exist. I, I, I don't think it should I, in any form, in any fashion, in any country and in any way, um, large scale spying or the ability to spy large scale on anybody that you want, uh, in the name of safety. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As I sit safely, Recording, you know, because that's the other thing. How how much do we not know about how safe we are? It's probably a lot. And why we're that safe, you mean? Oh, yeah, man. Like, why yeah. we don't have terrorist attacks happen every day, you know? Not to say there isn't a whole lot of terrorism going on domestically from, you know, you know shooting each other and, you know, uh, uh, mass shootings and things like that. But, like, the fact that we don't get attacked... Uh, and we're, we we piss a lot of people off. Yeah, we do. And, and the fact that we don't get attacked for it, I mean, there's something to be said about that. So maybe the ends do justify the means and we're just a couple ignorant monkeys talking about things that we don't know about. But at the end of the day, I think really the things that shine through when you look at history and the way these things have played out, it's not good. No, not at all. I saw another story uh, recently, actually, uh, from last week. Um, kind of related here. Uh, a top Catholic bishop uh, was forced to resign, basically, after he was hacked. Um, and it got exposed that he had been on Grinder and had been frequenting, like, a bunch of bunch of gay bars. Um, and yeah. Yeah, yeah, pretty crazy. So uh, it was, his name is Monsignor Jeffrey Burrell, um, B-U-R-R-I-L-L. <laughs> The, he in his position for like the Catholic Church is he is the top administrator of the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, um, and basically like what his job is is he oversees and manages the Catholic Church's like different scandals. So like his kind of kind of ironic here a little bit. It's always that way, isn't it? Yeah, right. That's right. always it's always somebody who's like super against gay marriage. Yeah, exactly. Is the one that's out there. Right. Screwing dudes on meth. Anyways. And in my opinion, that dude should be able to fuck all the dudes he wants. I don't give a shit. Like, the fact that he can't because of his religion is insane to me, but that is a different story. Mr. Burl was the victim, you could say, of, of a cyber attack, basically. The, the way that he got caught is that, um, and it's actually legal. Like, in, in a weird way, it's, it's kind of legal how this happened. But... What it was is they took his location data from his phone, which legally is allowed to be sold to different marketplaces uh, and companies just to kind of show like the foot traffic of people, where people like to go, where how they should be marketed and advertised to. They took that data and some some hackers like uh, de 
anonymized it. I'm probably not saying that word right, but like they basically yeah. trace it back to where when it's sold to the different companies and, and people, it, it says like, hey, consumer A is in this tier, you know, age group or whatever. This is what they do. This is where they went. They were able, like, then that's like how it's supposed to be. They that hacker was able to go back and see who that person actually was, and that's when this came out, uh, and then was reported by uh, the Pillar, which is like a big Catholic newsletter. Hmm. So, but in a way, like up to the point where they found him, at, like personally who he was, everything else was legal. So they were able to jump through all these loopholes and 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 track this dude to the various gay bars. Look at all the, you know, a lot of the stuff he's done on Grinder messages he sent, you know, scot-free. And and yeah. so this guy, he, he got exposed for this last week. And, you know, instead of trying to fight or anything like that, he he, he resigned. He, he got out of there. So he was targeted? Yeah, it looks like he was definitely targeted. Yeah. It sucks because it's like this. That, I mean, it sucks in two ways. In one way, like, that's insane that, like, you, people can look so much into your life just from this little device. This little device that we yeah. carry everywhere, do almost everything with, and people can go and break you down in so many different ways and ruin your life, ruin your career. This guy could have been a great dude. Like, the fact that he was gay has nothing to, like, this isn't like a child molester or like any kind of problem that I've had with with the Catholic Church, like, in that regards. Like, this dude is just a dude who likes other dudes, which should be totally okay to do. That, And that's my second problem with it is, like, this guy shouldn't be vilified by and, and forced to quit in a career that it looks like he's dedicated his entire life to because of his sexuality. Like, so that that's, that's kind of a whole different argument point, but to tie it in with Pegasus, I, I just think it's insane that he was hacked this easily. His location was tracked and his messages to someone were tracked. Yeah, man. I mean, it's, we, we said it earlier. If you wanted to know it, you could, yeah, you're not protected in any way that you think that you are. I mean, you could have a VPN, you could have, um, anything you wanted. And if somebody wanted to know it, you're not protected. I mean, listen, at the end of the day, I think the one thing that we all fail to realize is that everything that we're doing on these machines, on these computers, they all have to be connected. Mm-hmm. And because it is a global network, that means that the vulnerability points are so like endless. They're endless. It could be anywhere. It could be anywhere that your information travels. And with the limited understanding of that that I have, I couldn't even begin to figure out where and how my information could be um, revealed. And so for that very reason, I think it helps me personally be a much more honest person because the last thing that I want to do is have something come out about what I've been doing on the internet, right? So if anybody were to ask me, I I would have no problem telling you because for me, and like you and this guy, you know, this priest, I don't think there should be any shame for things that you do on the internet. Um, you know, it, it's really no different than like calling up back in the day, like going to like the back page of like a sketchy, you know, public uh, newspaper and calling on the classified ads of somebody who's looking for, you know, looking to get dicked down by a dude, you know, it's the same thing, except now because you're doing it on a network that can be, uh, hacked or you could, and in the case of this legally get that information. Um, now everything that you're doing, um, is out there for the public to see. And I think that's a message that we've all heard and we're just like ignorant to it, man. I mean, when we were kids, it was always, don't put your public information on the internet. Mm-hmm. Always. 
Don't ever, I mean, it, it was, we learned this in, in, in business school. One of the biggest things for people to get over and one of the reasons why it was such a big deal was online shopping was never considered to be safe because yeah. how could it be? You're, you know, you, you've been told up, don't ever put your, don't ever put your payment information. It can get hacked. People are out there to get you. It, everything on the internet stays on the internet, you know, and it's just these little things that we forgot. And now we have a priest who's disgraced. Yeah. Um, so yeah, man, it's a shame. And, and yeah, I think lesson is you're, you're not private. No matter how much you think you're protected, you certainly are not. Um, hospitals all across the country are being um, infected by ransomware. We've talked about it, about yeah. the, the pipelines that have been yeah. hacked. That's what I was going to um, say, in the guise of stealing like medical records or what? Yeah, so uh, it happened to my brother-in-law's hospital, uh, which will remain anonymous. It happened here. It was a big deal here uh, in San Diego. Uh, uh, was it Sharp or Scripps? I always get them confused. One of those two hospital systems got hacked. And what they do is they gain access to all of these medical records. And they say, they frame it in a way that says like, oh, hey, we've done you a favor by exploiting your vulnerabilities here. Sure. And if you don't give us, and this is the charge for our services. And if you don't give us these services, if you, give the, if you don't pay us for our services, then we're an honest, we have the ability to expose these records. And then you might be saying, well, who gives a shit? I don't care who knows I've had a, sur a couple of surgeries on my right knee. Well, HIPAA laws allow for fines, but $10,000 for every one of these records that's made public that's not supposed to. So it's like 4 million oh. versus like 20 million. You put a bit, yeah, so, put a hospital out of business. Exactly. So now you're forced uh, to pay these people oh, so shit. that they don't expose your, your records. It's wild, man. It's a wild thing. And you know how that started? Hmm. Um, Obamacare. Because oh. Obamacare in the, in the, in the uh, legislation, it required by law that all documents go electronic. And it's basically just like Jeff and IT in charge of these documents, you know? Wow. So if they get hacked, they're like, Jeff, what do we do? And he's like, uh, I don't know. I'm going to go on lunch in a half hour, <laughs> you know, talk <laughs> yeah, to me. after. Right, like, you know, right. this, these people are not equipped for any of that right, shit. Yeah. Um, so Damn. people who are hip to it and know how to do it can write this code and they can extract millions out of these systems who have by law made themselves the most vulnerable systems in America. Yeah. I, I read something too, with all those malware attacks that were going on that a majority of the companies that paid them got hit up again to do it like the 45% or something of the people that paid the first ransoms then got hit up again with like, well, you didn't pay us enough. So pony up again. So that's even like you, you, you can open yourself up to even more corruption and, and, and bribery or, you know, it's, it's, it's a scary world, man. These, these cyber attacks are not a fucking joke. Not at all. It's, and it's funny that this is going on now back in like, uh, gosh, this was like 2011, 2012. Um, one of my ex-girlfriend's stepdad had like approached me and was like, Hey, listen, I'm trying to start this business. I was wondering if you can help me out with the marketing aspect of it. And, um, they ended up moving very quickly after. I don't know if this ever got off the ground, but this person had a lot of connections with 
intelligence agencies and working for the government and things like that. And he knew people that you would want to know. And the business he wanted to run was like a semi-hacking business where they would go in and they would like, people would pay them to infiltrate their system. Oh, cool. So, hey, this is our rate. Let me tell you how vulnerable you are. And mm-hmm. they would go in and they'd be like, look, dude, I in like 20 minutes have access to like 80% of your files. And in another hour, I'll have access to like 95% of your files. And that's going to cost you this, this and much, this much. Uh, my rate is this to protect you. What do you think? A beautiful mm-hmm. business model, man. Yeah. Like just yeah. Amazing. But, you know, I got to imagine this has been going on now for at least 10 years. Um, and it'll probably, you know, it'll probably dominate stories, headlines for a very long time if heads of government are taking this on and trying to, you know, squash dissidents with it. Do you think we ever would see any kind of movement towards less technology? I, that's so weird to think about in the you know 21st century, but like, would you think we'll ever see people like that are sick and tired of being hacked, like go back to, you know, paper records or, you know, I'm not getting a cell phone. I'm not shopping online. Like, yeah. Could that happen again now in today's world or no? It would be tough to see. And the only reason is because everything that we do mm. is run on the ability to compile and decipher very, very, very large amounts of data. Yeah. And so the regression to me into like a non-networked world would be like a catastrophic event mm-hmm. where many, many people die, where there's a lot of turmoil, where there's a lot of um, just awful things happening. And maybe after that, it goes, you know, we learn our lesson and, you know, we start going towards a much less network world. But I would say the quick answer to that question is follow the money. Always. The money is in big, big, big data. Those people control everything. Mm. And so we would have to rip that control from their hands. And who knows, man? I mean, if, if we start introducing legislation that breaks up these big giant tech companies um, and we start, you know, hitting them with antitrust lawsuits and trying to break up these monopolies, then, you know, maybe we could see some sort of like very specialized, decentralized networked world where things kind of happen in pockets instead of happen in this big, huge server room. Um, Because at that point, if everything's connected in a web where all the information is, is is the most vulnerable spot and is the most, um, I would say protected. So you would have to like go after that. And I think the only way to do that really is to go through legal means and try and break these companies up. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, man. It's crazy. Kind of, kind of loosely related, man. I saw a story, a headline really that kind of grabbed my attention. Um, and just kind of want to talk about it quick before we get out of here, but human society could be, or is on track for a collapse in the next two decades. If there isn't a serious shift in global priorities, according to a new assessment of a 1970s report. Mm -hmm. 
any kind of anarchical headline catches me instantly. So I was like, okay, I got to, what are these guys talking about? It's crazy. Despair. The despair <laughs> news hour. <laughs> so in that report, um, which was published in the best-selling book, The Limits to Growth in 1972, a team of people far smarter than me, uh, made up of MIT scientists, argued that industrial civilization was bound to collapse if corporations and governments continued to pursue continuous economic growth, no matter the costs. Hmm. So uh, the researchers forecasted 12 possible scenarios for the future, as they saw it in 1972, um, most of which predicted a point where natural resources would become so scarce that further economic growth would become impossible and personal welfare would plummet. So it's not saying like, you know, we're going to get wiped out, you know, and like the sun's going to explode and we're all done. It's not saying that. It's just saying that like civilization as we know it could begin to collapse sooner than later. Um, Gaia Harrington is a sustainability and dynamic system analysis researcher. Uh, at the consulting firm KPMG. I'm pretty sure they f- sponsor Phil Mickelson. Pretty oh, yeah. sure. Yeah. Okay. They're one of the big four accounting firms. Yeah. Um, so she, she decided to find out um, in the November 2020 issue of the Yale Journal of Industrial Ecology, Harrington expanded on research she began uh, as a graduate student at Harvard earlier that year, analyzing this book, uh, Limits to Growth. Um, and kind of like taking those predictions and kind of switching them out with today's data, like as as we find it. Um, She found that the current state of the world measured through 10 different variables, which included population, fertility rates, pollution levels, food production, industrial output, aligned extremely closely with two of the scenarios that were proposed in 1972. Those two scenarios were uh, the business as usual scenario and one called the comprehensive technology scenario, uh, in which like technological advancements like reduce, they help reduce politician and increase food supplies, even as the natural resources run out. So, the most uh, infamous scenario is the business as usual scenario, and uh, that's just like if we keep doing what we're doing, keep our head down, this is all for the good of of the world and of our economies. We need to keep growing. It predicted that the world's economic growth would peak around the 2040s and then take a sharp, sharp downturn along with the global population, food availability, and natural resources. Uh, This imminent collapse wouldn't be the end of the human race, but more of like a societal turning point that would see the standards of living drop around the world for decades at least, like for Mm -hmm. a long, long time. Um, the CT scenario, which is the comprehensive technology scenario, it's less of a shock to the global population and, and personal welfare. Um, the lack of natural resources still leads to a point where economic growth sharply decri- declines. It's, it's just it's hard for our world to continue to do anything. Um, so th- this is just what she found by plugging in those numbers. I, I think it's really, really interesting to, to see. Uh, based, she still maintains that like there is a, a if we made a concerted effort, um, as we did like during COVID, where like the whole world came together, made a vaccine, blah, blah, you know, shut down economies for a little while just to, to attack it. If we did something like that, it, it, it's fightable against. But if not, it looks like we could be heading towards trouble. And so, it, it, you know, it, it, we're seeing this this uh, over in Germany right now with that huge flood. You know, we're starting to see more and more disasters. Um, 
some are saying that they're just more reported on now and, and more, you know, blown out of proportion in a way um, to the fact that where people think, you know, maybe climate change is, is a bigger topic than it really is. Um, and we could do a whole series, whole episode on climate change. Um, but, you know, it's something like that to see these floods, that flash floods that came out of nowhere and wiped out huge chunks of town and took tons of lives. You know, maybe maybe we're starting to see some of these bigger effects of, of what we're doing to the world. I, I, I'm not the one to say if we are or not, but some of the data shows that we could be. Yeah, it's, it's certainly possible. I, I think um, I like these sort of studies, but I think we have a tendency to like uh, run with them. So like, for example, sure. back when this uh, was first published back in the 70s, do you know what the big fear was in the 70s? Hmm. Global cooling. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody thought we were headed uh, in a collision course into the ice age. And then that's not to sit here and say that the globe isn't warming. It certainly is. Um, but yeah, I mean, how do you convince the, the planet, the globe, how do you convince human race to not strive for growth. Sure. The way she says that we could still save all of this is it's called, and they reference it within this 72 book is called the stabilized world scenario. Um, and this, this path begins with things similar to the BAU and CT routes, um, with like the population pollution, ec economic growth, it's all growing. Um, it says that by changing values in, um, like family size. So like by mm -hmm. putting more, making birth control more readily available, uh, that, that can help this a ton mm -hmm. and then limiting industrial output and prioritizing health and education services are the best ways to attack this, this problem. As oh, I would agree a hundred percent, man. I would agree 150,000%. Um, there's a, there's a study that I, I love and, and I'll have to refresh myself on it because um, every time I talk about it, I go like months without talking about it and it kind of leaves my head. But it was a study done by a, a few uh, Nobel laureates uh, and essentially what they tried to do, and it by no means isn't this exact science, but what they tried to do is they tried to um, decipher what we could do today that would do the most good in the world if you were to put a dollar to it, right? Mm -hmm. So for example, um, ending hunger in Africa, $1 towards that is like, well, I'll throw out a number and this is probably wrong, but it was up there. It was like $36 of good, right? Like the return was like 36 bucks. And like climate change was like way at the bottom of the list because no matter how much money you put into climate change, you, there was a zero reasonable model that shows that you can change the climate. Mm -hmm. Just almost impossible. So I love that idea because we know, I, I, think we, I think we have a very good idea of where to start doing things that make us globally better, right? perfect example contraceptions in places where it's very difficult to feed a family right sure. do that now do it now mm -hmm. absolutely put it there now um you know fighting uh uh, uh 
child uh, starvation, an issue that we could wipe out in like a day if we had concerted effort towards it, because the cost of it, if you're looking at it from an economic standpoint, the cost of it is low compared to other things, right? So if we took these, these problems and we applied rational thought to them and a little bit of effort, we could do a ton more good. Um, you know, I, I can see this becoming easily becoming like a critique on capitalism because capitalism, if you strip it down to its rawest, it is for profit, right? Mm-hmm. To make money, to leave with more money than you had. Um, and I think, a lot of what gets lost in that is the greed and the crony capitalism and the corruption and the ways in which humans are corrupted by the power of money. Um, but I think that's, I, I, I don't think the vehicle there is broken down. I think that it's either the GPS isn't working well or we have shitty drivers or both. Uh, but I think the vehicle is, uh, Correct. I, I, I believe that uh, the reason that we are in as good of a shape as we are compared to, say, 30 years ago for things like abject poverty, for things like hunger, for things like running water in places that didn't have it, all of that is is done by investment and by capitalism. And so I think the vehicle works. I think it's probably the direction that we're, that we're driving in that we, we need to kind of take a look at, uh, and understand that our responsibility when making profit is to understand every stakeholder that is involved in our making a buck, right? If it is, um, I don't know if it's Walmart, for example, in every community, Walmart is displacing other stores, right? So they have a responsibility to that community because now their ability to make a dollar in that community has adversely affected other people. Not only that, it affects, um, they have stakeholders and customers and investors in, um, employees in the community, in the people that are affected by their day-to-day business. And so I think a lot of organizations are starting to realize that their responsibility is not that stripped down. um, I think it was Adam Smith who had that essay. I could be wrong. It was the, the economist that basically said, what is there in business other than to make a profit? Right. Sure. And, and I think if you dumb it down really and truly, that's what it is. But the question, and, and I've said this before and I'll, I'll maintain this. The question isn't how much money did you make? The question is what did you do with the money that you made? And are you incorporating all of your stakeholders into that? And if that answer is yes, then that, that car is driving in the right direction. hundred percent. And I think when she's talking about that culture change, you got to, there's a big article that just came out today and it, or last week. And it, it, it affects my profession because it was, it was talking about electric vehicles and how it's creating a brand new pit of pollution in car batteries. 
and that we're mining for this lithium in places that we shouldn't be doing. We're sweeping the ocean floor and we're going into poor countries and exploiting their resources and um, in the name of clean energy, right? right? And it's like, okay, you're doing this. You're, You're trying to reduce our carbon footprint by not taking fossil fuels out of the earth and, and then expelling that carbon into the air. But are you taking a look at what your effect is there? Because if you're not, and you're not marrying those two things, then you're not doing your job and you're definitely not taking responsibility for your part. And to me, that's why I, I, me personally, true capitalism is the highest ideal of business because if you're able to marry and it's the hardest thing to do ever if you're able to marry all of your stakeholders in with your profit then you have become a true success and that's what to me what a successful business is yeah for sure i totally agree and i was just kind of kind of do like as you were saying that i kind of looked at something and like i totally agree with capitalism and it's like if we can hold those people that run these huge corporations that benefit off of the model of capitalism and off the American people every day. Like if we can find a way to like hold those people, um, accountable in a way, or, or, you know, like not have like, like on the surface, as I was looking at this, I was thinking like, Oh, Jeff Bezos, he's got all these tax loopholes. He's not paying taxes. He's blah, blah, blah. I looked it up as I was, you were kind of saying some of this and Jeff Bezos just yet last year made a $10 billion donation just towards climate change. So it's like, if we can get mm. these guys to like take some of those profits and I never knew that. I'd literally just learned that now. That's amazing. If we can get these guys to like who benefit so much off of capitalism to then like feed back into the machine and put money into, I mean, I, I know you're saying climate change is a waste, but like education, I think that'd be like the biggest thing we could do. Then we have more and more smart people that can help us figure out more and more problems that we'll keep Correct. coming to. If we can get these guys that are benefiting in the, in the best way and, so much so that they're setting up programs for space tourism to like mm-hmm. get put this money back into that machine, back into the shareholders, not only of Amazon, but like the collective shareholders of all the people that help Amazon be the beast it is and their end users. And if yeah. we can find ways to like get that money to in a way trickle back down, I, I think that's like the best solution. But I, capitalism is the way I totally agree. Well, for sure. And then like if you look at the majority of the wealth that comes out of America, it is from um, from like the finance industry, right? Mm. It's being able to take investments and then invest those investments and like double, triple your money over a certain span of time. To me, there's nothing wrong with that, except that that work produces nothing but wealth. Mm. It does nothing really for the drive of the country other than the economy is bigger and better when they do well. Right. And I guess it's lower when the economy does less, but that's not true because last year we saw that we shut down everything and the stock market had a record year. So it's like, what the hell does that mean? So I think another aspect of that too, is like, do you got all these people just playing around with numbers, being able to do that and flip um, investments without really producing anything of like tangible value that to me also is like, all right, well, you know, we need to hold those people accountable too, because the people who are affected by that are all of us, because if you're not producing anything, but you're amassing an incredible fortune, 
then all you're doing is feeding off of everybody else's tangible work. Yeah. And you can make, I mean, I'm sure people can sit here and make the case that they're justified in what they do. But I think that's another aspect of it too, is you have all these giant money managers. Um, and I don't think they're evil in any aspect, but I, I also think that there is a responsibility there to recognize that you don't make anything. You just make money mm-hmm. and that's fine. And you're able to do that, but you have to recognize that that's probably just as much of a suck on an economy as is uh, a legal alien coming across and taking a job from somebody else, right? Or like sucking on the welfare system or whatever it is that we entitle, you know, non-citizens of this country. You can make the argument against them. And I agree with that. But if you're also amassing a multi-million dollar um, fortune and you've really not done anything but like make deals and make relationships and then use that money to purchase things that other people have made and build and you're not really putting anything back into the community yeah it's like you have to hold those people responsible too yeah. um so yeah I, I definitely think there needs to be a shift in in how we culturally look at these things because i don't know if in 2040 we're gonna like all you know fall off the cliffs edge but it does seem like there's that air of despair and we see the gap between poor and rich widening even in america especially in america to a a gap that we've never seen before i mean that kind of thing i think is just like waving a big giant red flag yeah so there you go that's our show today ladies and uh gentlemen um al can you pay our bills it is. Yes, I will. Uh, if you uh, need a good pick me up, if you want to spend some of that money, put it back into the American economy. Do it with our sponsors, Gun Barrel Coffee. Drinking a good, smooth cup of coffee is a treat all by itself. But when it helps American heroes like veterans and first responders, it is that much better. Gun Barrel Coffee is proud to donate one dollar from every item purchased to veterans and first responder charities all across our great country. From their medium blend, the Moab... Uh, the Double Dark Battleship Roast. I've been drinking their Slightly Dark Roast, the Space Force. They have a CBD-infused one called the Medic. All of their coffees are smooth without that acid or bitterness you find in so many coffees. They offer 14 different blends and roasts, which you can get in whole bean, ground, or single-serve pods. And right now, as a friend of our ship, you can use the promo code FNH10, and you'll save 10% at checkout when you buy their products at gunbarrelcoffee.com. Gun Barrel Coffee. Damn good coffee. Damn good cause. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, if you would like to talk to us, we would like to talk to you. We want to talk to all of you about anything. Um, drop us a line wherever you feel comfortable doing so. If you're on Twitter, you can find us at FriendshipNH. If you are on Instagram, you can find us at Friendship News Hour. If you are on TikTok, you can view our videos at Friendship News Hour. And you could also send us an email at bummerdude.media at gmail.com. That is bummerdude.media at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you, and we will talk with you soon. Bye-bye.